You're listening to the Ruby on Rails podcast. You're listening to episode 385, and I'm your co-host, Brittany Martin. And I'm your co-host, Nick Schwader. Kevin Newton is a staff engineer at Shopify on the Ruby and Rails infrastructure team. There, he's working on improving the speed and efficiency of CRuby. He's been working in the Ruby ecosystem since 2013. He lives outside of Boston, Massachusetts, where he lives with his wife and son. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Well, of course, Kevin, I'm going to need to know, what is your developer origin story? So going back pretty far, I went to a very odd technical high school and they made you take intro to CompSci. <laughs> and I took it my freshman year and then I play a lot of music. And over the summer, I auditioned for and didn't get into the top band at my high school. So I actually filled that spot in my schedule with more CompSci courses. And I'm really glad I didn't make that audition because I ended up spending a lot more time doing more and more comp sci courses and got more and more into it. And I started doing that in college and eventually moved up to Boston with my wife. And I started bouncing around Ruby startups in the Boston area and eventually made my way over to Shopify where I met Nick and been here ever since. What does the Ruby community look like in Boston? It's pretty great, actually. There's a lot of I mean, pretty well-known shops, man. I think the one I immediately think of is ThoughtBot. There's a bunch of other ones that are pretty prominent in the Ruby community. And we have a, a Ruby meetup that hasn't unfortunately met up during the COVID times, but before was pretty active. And they would meet twice a month and we'd have talks and we'd have a project night. And there's always a fair number of folks. So it's a good community. Rumor has it. It's a great community. So I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that. So both of you, both Nick and Kevin, gave talks at Ruby Kaigi. So I'm going to start with Nick. How did that go? I mean, what a, an amazing conference to give a talk at. Yeah. So like I'm a first timer at this level. So, I mean, this is completely Nick opinion. But I always think of RailsConf, RubyConf, Ruby Kaigi as the three. There's so many wonderful conferences out there, but I really I've never cracked these three. Right. And yeah, so I got accepted. Absolutely didn't expect it. Everybody, if you're looking online for guidance for applying to a conference, they say do three or four topics. They'll, you know, keep doing lots of them. So I only did one. I only did the one thing I wanted to talk about. And I wrote it as best I could, as honestly as I couldn't. Yeah, I got accepted. So it was Ruby archaeology. So really, I have talked in, about my interest in old Ruby in the past in my occasional newsletter past Rubies that sometimes comes out. And I really just reading all these old articles and blogs, I'm like, oh, but I want to run this Ruby 1.8 stuff. And I just kind of took those learnings and put together a workflow for how you can get involved in writing older versions of Ruby and, and debugging it and actually working as if it's like 2008, 2007. I didn't go hardcore. I didn't do like 1998 Rubying, but there's a lot of gems out there that aren't really maintained anymore that were coming in the 2000s that you can play with. So anyway. Yeah. So through that talk, I covered how to, and then I spent the second half just going into three gems, one that's still around that was around in 08, one that stopped being built in 08, and then another one that's still around. And it's online, so I won't spoil all of it if folks actually want to see this on YouTube. And for a bonus, there is a treat at the end. I've deployed something, a tool that people can use. So if you watch it, you can uh, find that link to that tool. It was just great. You know, so it was my first recorded conference and I'd say getting a few bits of tooling, that's almost a blog post. I'm not like a pro video editor or anything, but getting things just right with audio and video is 
it's another thing, right? Like when you're giving it live, if you say, uh, or, um, nobody notices, but if you record something and you're taking 30 seconds to like mess around in your editor, you feel like the sweat. You're like, I have to reshoot this. I have to reshoot this. But the conference is great. It's like two to 7 a.m. my time, but I don't care. I watched it online as much of it as I could. And people were so friendly. And I learned a little bit about Japanese culture because as for those who aren't familiar, there's an English track and a Japanese track and they're translated. But you get to see little things like I didn't know in Japan. After a talk, people would type the clapping emoji and some of the Japanese folks write 88888. And I had to Google that and it was something that corresponded with a, a clapping sound. So there you go. So that's the thing I do now is give people 88888 if I like something. But it's a great time. Wonderful talks. But that's not the best part. So the best part is I wasn't alone. There was another fantastic speaker who I believe has spoken at this conference in person before. And that was our guest here today, Kevin. Okay, Kevin, you did speak before, right? Uh, yeah, actually, this is my third time talking at Kaigi. What were you talking about and how was your talk? Yeah, it was very different, as you mentioned, doing it remotely. I had done this in person in Japan a couple of times, and I think they did a great job as the constraints that they were put on them. But yeah, I would much have preferred that have been in person because it's just a, <laughs> it's a pretty great experience. This time I was talking about the history of parsing Ruby. So you dug into Ruby archaeology, which, which actually pairs pretty well with this talk. I was going into also some history of over time, how the Ruby parser has changed and not only C Ruby, but all the other implementations of Ruby and how they understand and parse your source code into the various ASTs or, or bytecode or, or whatever it is that the various implementations do. And I tried to dig into the various options that you have these days if you want to access that kind of information, which kind of boils down to the parser gem, which is used by RuboCop and a whole bunch of others. There's the Ruby parser gem, which is used by a couple of tools out of Seattle RB. And then there's Ripper, which is the standard library way. There's also a couple others like the Ruby VM AST, which is pretty new and relatively experimental that is an option. But I go into all of these different things and I, I compare and contrast how they were built and what they were built for and when they came around. And as part of this talk, I'm doing it again at RubyConf. I'm digging more into what we can do to try to aid these all these other tools and all these other implementations to make our parser so that it's it's more easily accessible. And to kind of dig into that a bit more. So some of the listeners, we have all different folks, different backgrounds in Rails and Ruby who would listen to this. So maybe we could break that down a bit more. So somebody listening may not have ever heard the acronym AST or some of these things, but Absolutely. to clarify, you're talking about, you know, when you look at a Ruby file, you're just looking at text, right? Characters in a file. And then on the other end, you have this bytecode and you're talking about the tooling over times that does this transformation in lots of different ways and, and how we can approach that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So generally, the way I really like to think about it is if you've ever diagrammed a sentence in English <laughs> class, that is exactly what any kind of linguistics parser is going to do, including the Ruby parser, including every language parser. What they are doing is looking for patterns like subject, verb, noun, whatever it is. And over time, you build up an understanding of what is being said. That's the exact same thing as parsing a Ruby program. You're building up structures and 
those structures end up leading you to be able to convert that into whatever format you want to and go and execute it. I find this fascinating, especially with Ruby, because there are, I don't want to say millions or infinite or put a real number on it, but there's a very large number of ways to write the same code. Hmm. There There is the same. Yeah, exactly. Not even counting for linters, right? There's just lots of different, it's a very sharp knife, which obviously, and, and I focus on like the beauty of, you don't have to write like everyone else, but you know, I've not dug as deep as this. So that's why I appreciated your talk. Like the closest I think I've got, I've maybe written some uh, RuboCop cops in the past. And I believe I've used their internal tooling where you take a chunk of Ruby code and, and you run it through and you get this representation, which I believe was the AST. It like, was. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you look at this thing, you're like, okay, these two things are written differently, but they have the same thing coming out, the same looking tree. It's like, okay, cool. Now I know that this will match all patterns that have that outcome, right? Mm -hmm. Effectively, like proper nouns and turning them into nouns. Think of it like Mad Libs. (laughs) Instead of like saying Paris here, you can say, I need a noun. And so it's the process of taking that source code and uh, normalizing it to a certain form that works across implementations. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Honey Badger. Honey Badger is one of the easiest decisions you can make. As an engineering lead on a tech stack that supports UI, API, mobile application, and Chrome extension, it is awesome to have all of my error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and check-in monitoring in one place. No matter how great your team is, your code is going to have errors. Honey Badger empowers your whole team to own the features they ship. Honey Badger sends you alerts real-time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. Head over to HoneyBadger.io and discover how Honey Badger is used by tens of thousands of pragmatic developers and companies of all sizes who want to focus on shipping great, error-free products. And I guess for folks who haven't had the benefit of seeing your talk yet, do you want to talk about like maybe the benefits of like exploring all these different approaches to parsing Ruby and, you know, why it's not just one thing and why everybody keeps kind of revisiting this? So Ruby has been around for a long time and there's been a lot of debate, not just in Ruby, but kind of in the industry overall of quote unquote, the right way to parse things or or what tools to use. Ruby has always used a parser generator, which is a tool that you write some pseudocode effectively of how this parser should work. And then you run it through this tool and it generates the parser for you. It originally used something called Yak. Then it used something called Bison, which is a play on Yak. And some other languages have continued to use these things. A lot of them have started hand rolling their parsers because they're a little bit easier to understand. And some have even used these things called peg parsers. Anyway, all of this is to say there are a lot of options. But one of the key things about your parser is that when people go to do other implementations of your language, like Truffle Ruby, JRuby, Rubinius, any of these, or if they want to go and write a linter like RuboCop, they need access to the same information that your parser has. And so the easier your parser is to understand and translate into other contexts, the easier it will be for your language ecosystem to grow. So it kind of factors into almost the marketing of your language. And one of the things about Ruby is that the parser is written in C. It has a lot of very complicated, very interesting shortcuts and a lot of 
things that programmers that have been programming in C for 30 years will not be confused by, but programmers that don't have the benefit of that experience will definitely need a little bit of time. It's all in one file. It's called parse.y. And I've been reading through that file for about five years now, and I could not tell you most about it. So <laughs> there's definitely like a value to digging into the history of parsing and, and to try to determine a path forward that would be more approachable for more people. So we're bringing the whole crew from Texas because RubyConf is going to be based in Denver this year. I'm curious. I have a wide range on my team. Like Nick said, I have junior developers all the way up to principal. Do you recommend any prerequisites before coming to view your talk? That's a great question. I try to make it as approachable as possible. So I'm going to optimistically say no. But in reality, maybe reading through, there's actually this phenomenal guide that I haven't seen online in a while, but it's called the Ruby Hacking Guide. And it came around like 15 years ago. And it's got all kinds of great information on how Ruby works internally and the parser and a whole bunch of other information. I'll send a link to that so we can send it out. It's definitely really good extra context for those that might want to attend my talk. That's awesome. Well, I want to dig into your main side project that you've been working on for a couple of years, and that is Prettier Ruby. I'm so curious, why did you get this started and how have you remained committed to it for so many years? Yeah, let's see. So this was about almost three years ago now. Wow, that is wild. I was delving into the front end ecosystem and I learned about Prettier. And Prettier, if you're not familiar, is a formatter that runs, it can run in your editor, it can run on the command line. And its charge is to have a one, not necessarily a one true format, but to have an item potent format so that every time you run the, the formatter, if it's already formatted, it won't change the thing again. And it was great. I feel like it eliminated a lot of need of discussion of like, do we like commas here or do we like extra parentheses here? And it just took care of that. So I was really interested in having that for the Ruby ecosystem. And at the time that I started writing this, the other ones that now exist didn't exist. The only formatter really in the game was RuboCop, which is not truly a formatter. It's a linter. And at the time, I wasn't the only one that was having this idea. So Penelope Fippen started writing Ruby format, which is a Rust based one. And there's another open source project called Rufo that started around the same time. But anyway, all of this is to say I, I, I really wanted this brought to the Ruby language and I started working on a plugin, read a whole bunch of docs, learned what AST is for the first time and started building up this formatter. And yeah, it's been three years. As you mentioned, it's not been easy to like keep myself motivated and keep myself working on it. But I've had some friends that have paired with me on it. I've had various hack days at Shopify where I've gotten to work on it in my time at work, which has been really helpful. And then, yeah, Discourse actually came to me and, and asked me to get it running on their code base, which really helped motivate me to get it over the line. That was when I got 1.0 out. That's awesome. So I'm curious, what is it like running a project that in many ways could be viewed as an opinion? <laughs> that is such a great question. Yeah. So there are a lot of pitfalls. One of the more interesting pieces of Prettier is when to add options, options for formatting. So one of the things that Prettier has said in their own documentation is Prettier, if it had existed when JavaScript started, would not have any options. 
because there would not have been time for people to fall into camps of which kind of formatting they prefer. And so coming at Ruby 20 years after it began or 25, there's been plenty of time for people to fall into camps if they like the modifier form of if and unless, if they like hash rockets versus labels in in hashes, if they like single or double quotes. So (laughs) for those things where people have actually fallen into camps and created flame wars, I've added options, but I've tried to keep it as minimal as possible because at the end of the day, we shouldn't have these discussions. We should just be working on our applications. So yeah, it's definitely been tough. And I've definitely had some pull requests opened that have opened with, we need this option. And I've had to say no, which has not been fun. <laughs> but I, I suppose it's been good for my own fortitude to learn that skill. I want to craft a new term instead of MVP. I want MFW, minimal flame wars. Like I think that's a great term. <laughs> yes. I am definitely going to adopt that. Excellent. I, I did see that you have an open issue on the repo that you opened against it about supporting HTML.erb. That sounds like it'd be incredibly tricky. So how much digging have you gone into that? You know, why would you want to support that? So much digging. Yes. I have been digging into this for two years now. So what I want is one command to format an entire Rails code base. And it's very close because right now, Prettier can format your JavaScript files or TypeScript files if you have them. It can format your Ruby files. It can format your HTML, XML, CSS files, SCSS files. Most of the front end is, or all of the front end is taken care of, provided you're not using something like Reason or something else. And the last real piece is this view. I even have a formatter for Haml built in if you're using the Haml template generator. But HTML ERB is so hard (laughs) because the problem is it's not really a language. It's two. It's a preprocessor and a language. So it can work. I've gotten it to work if you're using the ERB tags as if they were HTML tags as you might do in like a loop or something in ERB, in an HTML ERB file, which is kind of how the docs do it. But you can actually use ERB tags wherever you want. You could have an ERB tag that just puts out a less than sign and then the HTML would all work together. But, you know, for a formatter, that's kind of a nightmare. So at the moment, the way I have it working and I'll be pushing up code for this whenever I get the free moment soon, The way I have it working is for a subset of HTML ERB. If your tags are in a logical place, if they're not, then it just gives up. This episode of the Ruby on Rails podcast is brought to you by Scout APM. Scout APM is leading edge application performance monitoring that is designed to help Rails developers quickly find and fix performance issues. All this without having to deal with the headache or overhead of enterprise platform feature bloat. With developer-centric UI and tracing logic that ties bottlenecks to source code, you can quickly pinpoint and resolve performance issues. These include N plus one queries, slow database queries, memory bloat, and more. Scout's real-time alerting and weekly digest emails let you rest easy knowing that Scout's on watch and resolving performance issues before your customers ever see them. Scout has also launched its new error monitoring feature add-on for Ruby applications. Now you can connect your error reporting and application monitoring data on one platform. See for yourself why developers worldwide call Scout their best friend and try their error monitoring and APM free for 14 days, no credit card needed. And as an added bonus for Ruby on Rails listeners, Scout will donate $5 to the open source project of your choice when you deploy. 
Learn more at scoutapm.com slash Ruby on Rails. Well, last question I have for Prettier Ruby is I'm curious, how can listeners support you on it? Yeah, so there is an open collective on the repo and you can go there and help fund my spare time. Another way is just to run it on your code base. I mean, this is probably the more useful thing is literally just run it on every code base you can start using it and tell me where you have problems. I've run it against Ruby, uh, Rails, uh, Discourse, Shopify. I've run it all against all of these repos and and I, I haven't had any crashes in a while. But, you know, I'm always happy to hear more bug reports because I, I want to get this to the point where it's completely solid and everyone feels really confident in it. Yeah, that sounds like a, a good way to approach it. Get more using it. I've used it. It's great. I believe that you can use it how you want. So like your after save or, or whatever way you want to approach it. But just a quick question. So you talked about how like a few people are trying to solve a similar problem at the same time. It seemed some approaches are kind of soup to nuts. What was it like starting with something that had already repeatedly looked into the auto formatting problem? So there's probably things there for you. You had to think from the obviously lots of work from the Ruby place, but what do you think that you had a bit of a tailwind working on a plugin within an existing ecosystem as opposed to like trying to figure out every single problem with regards to formatting? Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. So there was a paper in it was in the, either the 90s or the early 2000s that was called A Prettier Printer. It was an academic paper presented at a conference and it created an algorithm for how to build printers like this, like formatters like this. And what's really interesting, and I didn't know this at the time, is that both Prettier adopted this algorithm, but also the Pretty Print module in Ruby Core. Like when you call PP, it's also using that exact same algorithm. Wow. So what it is, the way that Prettier works is that it has an intermediate representation, which is going back to parsing. You parse your language and then you translate into this intermediate representation, which is, is just a tree. And it's a tree of these nodes that all know how to do things like this is a line node or a concatenation node or a group. And once you build up this tree, you just hand it over to Prettier. So, yeah, absolutely. It was way easier for me to build this than a lot of the other formatters out there because they have to go and do this, either implement this own algorithm or implement their own or reapproach the same problem. So yeah, it was quite a bit faster for me. And because of that, I was also able to add the XML formatter, the Haml formatter and the RBS formatter all based into my plugin because of having that, that half of the formatting already taken care of for me. That's so cool. I love it when we have these problems that are like not language specific that we can kind of like, you know, work together in these ways, right? Like or where tooling can be shared or inspired across languages and, and definitely appreciate your open source work on this. And I got to say, like, Kevin, you've done a lot of open source. It's a big part of what you do. And I'm interested to, to learn more about it as I have to ask you. Anyone who remembers the last time I was on here, I brought up a topic and immediately realized I shouldn't be talking about it. It should be Kevin. And I was talking about a recent Shopify hack days we had where we are tackling your project around another bit of work you've had open source and it's public and out there and everything, which is regular expression. So for the listeners who may have no idea what I'm talking about and didn't listen to that episode or whatever, could you explain to the folks listening what regular expression is and, and what you're trying to, to solve with that much better than I ever could? For sure. Yes. So I'll tell you something I actually haven't told anyone, which is the reason why this all started is because funny enough, in terms of transition here, 
I got an issue on the prettier repo that said that when you changed so so regular expressions in Ruby, you can use uh, forward slashes to delineate them, but you can also use percent %r. <laughs> and it would occasionally change it to percent %r for various reasons, and it would do that. And when it did that, there were some unnecessary escaping of forward slashes. And I looked into how RuboCop determined if it was unnecessary escaping, and it turns out that it had a regular expression parser gem that it was using to handle this. And I realized I wanted a regular expression formatter. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started digging into the problem and I realized that the regular expression engine that Ruby uses is called Onigmo, which is a fork of an older project. And it's all written in C and it exists in the Ruby code base as a kind of a vendored section of the code base. And I realized that I really wanted this written in Ruby, but I also wanted similar speed. So that's quite a tough charge. So I started looking into how regular expressions work and there are a bunch of options and there's actually some interesting work happening on this right now. There's a bunch of work, documentation you can read online about the various regular expression engines. They're talking about language agnostic things. Regular expressions that engines actually have been pulled into various languages without being written in those source languages a lot of the time. One of the more interesting projects these days is called T-Regex that just came out of Truffle Ruby, where they're kind of optimized into the Graal VM. Anyway, mm -hmm. we can settle into that. What I wanted to do was write a Ruby regular expression engine. And so fortunately, Shopify had this hack days, which is a couple days to work on anything related to your work, anything that, that inspires you. And I got a whole bunch of people together and we started working on this regular expression engine. At the time, I had it working where it was just kind of a bare bones kind of thing. But after including a whole bunch of people, I got a bunch of great contributions and a whole bunch of fun things started happening. Like it gets compiled to its own internal bytecode representation. And then that bytecode representation goes through a process called a control flow graph, and then it gets scheduled, and then it gets translated into a various target implementations. So one is it can just be run in Ruby. Another is you can tell it to compile to x86 and you x86 assembly, and you can actually tell it to do that on the fly. And then one of the more interesting things that I haven't seen in other regular expression engines that does exist in ours, which I'm actually very excited about, is something called speculative optimization, which is to say, let's say you have a regular expression that is very simple. It's just A or B, and you run it a hundred times and you only get B. In our regular expression engine, in a naive implementation, it would check A every time and then it would check B. But using this kind of speculative optimization, we can just lop off the A and say, it's only gonna match B. And then if it happens to match A, we will de-optimize and go back to our initial implementation. But using this kind of technique, we can actually cut off entire trees out of the regex and make it a lot more efficient based on whatever payloads you're passing through it. So that's just one of the, the many fun things that came out of this project. And I'm still working on it. And I really want to get it to the point where it's very solid and usable Ruby implementation of regular expressions because I find Ruby far more readable than C. Yeah. And I think that we would get a lot of other contributions if it were approachable. And it seems that like, obviously, if you do contrived cases, but in certain cases, I'm saying having just been there with you, that the, the speed possibility improvements 
can get quite high. So it's, it sounds like that there's a net benefit beyond it's in Ruby now that could be ascertained. And I reckon if folks wanted to have a look, the readme's there. And I think you're just trying to match issue parity as well with every little edge case that we have in Ruby. And, and I'm sure we'll get a link in there for folks to be able to check it out. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap up, Kevin, what are your thoughts on the future of the Ruby and Ruby on Rails communities? I am a huge optimist. <laughs> I'm convinced this is one of the best times to work in Ruby that there ever has been. Ruby is going in so many fun directions and there's so much happening right now. There is all of the work that's happening within the JRuby, TruffleRuby, CRuby teams. There's all of the new stuff ha- coming out with RBS, with the type system. There's fun stuff that I'm working on at work that Shopify is working on called YJIT, which is a just-in-time compiler. Ruby is seeing a lot of investment from a lot of different places. And I think it's a great time to be working on this language. Rails 7 is coming. All of the interesting things coming to the front end with the CSS and the JavaScript bundling, we're finally going to have a nice answer for is it Sprockets? Is it Webpacker? Is it Asset Pipeline? What is actually happening? There's still a lot of inspiration that Rails is giving to the community as well as taking and pulling in all of like the best patterns and tools. So yeah, I'm an optimist. I think this is a great time to be working in the Ruby and Rails ecosystems. I couldn't agree more. So how can listeners follow you? I'm on Twitter, KD Newton. You can follow me on GitHub or you can find me around various open source projects. I'll be in the issues. That's fantastic. Well, Kevin, I say this to every guest who is a open source contributor. Thank you so much for all the work that you contribute to the community. It's really, you know, awesome to have someone on the show that is so committed to the community. And Nick, it is always a pleasure, but even more of a pleasure when you bring friends. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Kevin. Yeah, thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Rupee on Rails podcast. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded to stay in the loop on Ruby on Rails and open source software. While you're at it, please leave us a review. And thank you for listening.